Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between Spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. And to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. To apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to church. Uh, please say hello to someone as you sit down. Online to the website or the app. Chris? Morning. How's everyone doing? Hey, we got a projector now. How about that? Don't, we do this every week, believe it or not. Um, man, glad you're here. Good morning. Uh, I, just, I do want to invite you uh, to pray and be discerning as to who in your life God might be leading you to invite to Alpha. It is an amazing um, atmosphere, and I love it. We want to be a people on mission here, man. We want to be on mission, um, not just, you know, we don't, we don't come here for just for the coffee. Uh, we're trying to do things to impact, impact our time and place. So just be praying about who you might invite. Um, so today, we are going to continue our Empowered series. By the way, uh, hundreds of vineyards across the nation are also participating in this series in some form or fashion. So we've been joining brothers and sisters around the world talking about what it looks like to live empowered by the Holy Spirit. But today um, is uh, perhaps the widely most controversial and divisive aspect when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Glad you brought a friend today. Um, the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, by far, by far, the most controversial and divisive idea when it comes to the Holy Spirit and his, does he, because honestly, some of them are weird. Have you read it? Some of them are weird. They lie outside the materialistic understanding we have of the cosmos. But in reality, it's largely because of the misuse of the gifts and the immaturity of how people have gone about it and their potential to manipulate, use the gifts to manipulate people. Um, And I think we've seen imbalances and abuses when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit that has caused us to throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
You know, you know what I'm talking about? So, I mean, my hopes are through this series has been no matter what your background is, uh, no matter what kind of church you grew up in, but by looking at what the scriptures say about the Holy Spirit, every one of us would just eagerly say, man, I want the Holy Spirit in my life. You're welcome in my life. I want you here. It would, like, I, my hopes are that like, I'm just like, like cracking the door open. You know, that you're wanting to like crack the door open to the Holy Spirit in your life. I could be swinging for the fences. I tend to do that, but it's my hopes. Okay, so we are in 1 Corinthians uh, 14. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to it. Um, and let me pray for us while, while, while you open up to that passage. Get a little feedback, guys. You better find them. Jesus, we ask Holy Spirit that you would come. Lord, would you make yourself known in this place, Lord? God, I pray for all my friends right now. God, that you would minister to them, that you would open up their hearts and their ears and their eyes to see what you have to give to them. God, that you would soften hearts, maybe to believe for the first time that you have relevance in the universe, that you, God, you, you matter in the universe, that you can engage us here and now and, and, and actually impact who we are in real ways. God, come and do that. Words can't do that. Sermons can't do that. Only your power can do that. So our eyes are to you. Jesus' name, amen. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, chapters 12 through 14, um, they're all concerning spiritual gifts, that whole bit. Chapters 12 all the, way to, all the way to 14. And then if you zoom back further and look at the book of 1 Corinthians as a whole, you'll notice that the entire thing is correctional. The entire thing is Paul saying, well, you're a little bit off here. Your, your, your um, theology is off here. You got some doctrine issues. You got some practical issues off here. Um, so as much as if you grew up in church, we kind of like to romanticize the early church and say, oh, if we could just get back to how it was then. But we see that from the very beginning, the use of spiritual gifts was causing division in the church. And if you sit, and, and I encourage you to do it, if you just read 12 13 and 14, one of the main pushes that Paul is pleading is for unity amidst diversity. So, I mean, imagine that, a group of people around this number get into a room, and there's diversity, right? And unfortunately, even amongst Christians, when you get people, I know you can't, hard to believe this, I know it's church Sunday and I should be happy and cheerful, even amongst Christians, when you get a bunch of Christians in the room, you think, oh, they probably agree on everything. It's not true. I don't want to shock anyone, but... The person to your left and right do not think the same way as you. Some of you are sitting next to your kids. You're like, yeah, I know that, right? They don't have the same political persuasions as you. Someone's just like getting out and walking. They're just walking, right? Right? They don't think the way you think about all of life. And lo and behold, humans are humans. Christian or not, and in the early church, Paul has to deal with this massively divisive thing. Now there's this supernatural aspect going on and people are doing really weird things, talking in tongues and gifts, and they're saying, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian, and all sorts of divisions happening in the early church. And so, I mean, it's just been the same throughout history. Like we've not really deviated too much. So in chapter 12, Paul gives a, a list, a list, not the list. It's just a list. It's not definitive. It's not like a scientific textbook. He's just saying, here's some, right? And he's pleading for unity amidst diversity. In chapter 12, the word same or one, right? Same or one. What kind of words are those? Unity, okay, is used 16 times in one chapter, right? Uh, chapter 13 then, um, he tells us, in chapter 13, he tells us the why behind the what of the gifts. 
He tells us the motivation of all the gifts. Uh, and, and basically says, if you miss this, you've missed everything. You, anyone know what 1 Corinthians 13 is about? It's this chapter that we read at weddings. Anyone want to call out what that? Love. Oh, very interesting. If you, if you don't have this one thing, he says, the use of the gifts are null and void. Like your wrong conversation. We need to step back and ask a different conversation. It's love, right? Chapter 14, then he gets really, really practical um, and lays down um, the purpose of the gifts. What's the goal? What's the intended outcome? So right now, already, like, I don't know where you came from. I don't know if you grew up in church or not, if you come from a charismatic background where you, you have categories for all the gifts of the Spirit, or if you're like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it's this whole thing about tongues and prophecy and words of knowledge. And then at the bottom of 12, it talks about there's some prophets and teachers like Mike Red. It's all these things. In, in 14, he's saying, what's the goal of all those things, Right? If you were to distill it down, these three chapters, um, you might say that the whole, you could summarize all three chapters by saying this, God longs his followers to have a profound unity in the midst of a wide diversity of gifts and passions. So in other words, God longs for the church to be the kind of place where you can be, some, be next to someone who does not feel as strongly as you feel about certain topics. I don't know if the modern mind has room for this. Are, are you able to be amongst a group of people. Let's, let me just paint you a picture. I'll just paint you a picture of how it works in church. Maybe what, how you ended up here. Maybe you were at a church and, and some guy at that church was like, evangelism, if you're not talking to people about Jesus, you're not a Christian, right? And he's kind of maybe a little immature in that gift, but like, he's like really hardcore into it and you got burnt, you get turned off. Well, I don't, I don't have a passion for that. I'm gonna leave, find a different church, right? So <sighs> this happens all the time. And what God is painting a picture of is a group of people who have the maturity and the depth of character to understand that we all have different passions and skills. And that dude can be jacked up about evangelism. The question is, can you be jacked up about one thing without demanding that everyone else be as jacked up as you are about it? Should I say that again? Yeah, yeah, can't, jacked up. Should I use a different word? Yeah. Yeah, passionate, we'll use passionate, okay? For you, can you be as passionate about something and not at the same time demand that everyone else be equally as passionate about it as you are? Because if you can't, there's room for you to grow, friend. Life's gonna be difficult for you. And what you will end up doing is finding the few little niche group of people that think the way you do and you'll all get together and you'll look down your noses at everyone else because you're convinced that you've got it right. I just painted you a picture of Christianity in America. Bunch of people cluster together with a group that thinks the way they think about certain theology and they look down their nose at everyone else and say, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, we figured it out and you didn't. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm being a little bit mean, but I'm just passionate about that. Okay, the whole point is, let me get back to the notes. Let me get back to the notes. Um, the gifts are for a purpose. The gifts are for a purpose. The diversity is for a purpose. Guys, diversity is not a threat. Diversity is not a threat. Okay, people next to you who think look differently than you. All throughout human history, we see diversity as a threat. And here the Bible is saying it's a gift. Wake up, man. Your wife is different than you. It's a gift. She's going to keep you alive, bro. Right? Your husband is different than you. And we lock in and we say, you need to think like I think. It's a gift. Let's grow together in this, y'all. Let's put on our big boy pants, our big girl pants, right? And start realizing that a diversity of opinion is a gift to you. You get in small group and someone starts talking crazy before you just jump down their throats and correct them. 
I, I will get back to the notes, I promise. Just before you jump down their throats and try to correct them and have a, have a radical idea, why don't you try to listen? You got this guy in your small group who's a Catholic. You're a Catholic? Are they even Christians? And then he starts talking about Catholic liturgy and the wisdom that he, before you jump down his throat and say, just try listening. Okay, back to the notes. Here we go. All right, so here we go. Spiritual gifts. <laughs> this, is a, this is, okay, bad sign already from the, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> Spiritual gifts must be informed by two things, I think according to these three chapters, two things, inclusion and edification. This is the, the intended purpose, the goal, the aim of the diversity that we find in the church, the passions, the skills. They must be informed by inclusion and edification. And if we've gone off those rails, we've missed the points. If they are not for including outsiders and building up insiders. We've missed the point. Inclusion and edification. I'm going to prove this to you from the Bible. So off the gate, you might have a different category for what you think spiritual gifts are for. You thought they were for like putting on a really good show, you know? You go to a church service and people are running down and speaking in tongues and it's some sort of like, um, you know, uh, it's like how you rev your engine at red lights. Like that, that to you has been what spiritual gifts are. It's how we prove we're more spiritual than the next person, right? Blah, blah, talking in tongues or whatever it is, right? You know? That's not what the Bible paints a picture of. I'll prove it to you. I'll get to it. It's in the scriptures. Inclusion, edification, bringing the outsiders in and building the insiders up. Okay, so, or what his words, Paul, the common good. So the common, that's a very broad word, isn't it? (laughs) It's outsiders and insiders, right? This was what spiritual gifts were for. So let's sit with the first point, okay? When the gifts of the Holy Spirit are used in a way that God wants to use them, Outsiders are brought in to the kingdom, not scared away from it. (laughs) How many of you grew up in a church where the function of the gifts of the Spirit scared people away? Thank you for your honesty. I love you so much. So did I. Okay. We often joke. So in other words, an outsider walks in and he's like, what the is going on here? I am out of here. We often joke that the Holy Spirit is like the weird uncle of the Trinity that comes around at family reunions and you kind of want to keep your friends away from him, you know, because you don't know what he's going to say and he's kind of a wacko. Um, That comes from growing up in a tradition that the expression of the gifts are really, really uncomfortable and awkward and we don't know what to do with it, right? And you're like, I'm never going to bring a friend here because this is strange and embarrassing, right? In fact, someone sent me (laughs) an Instagram post this week of this pastor up there, Evangelicus, with like Donald Duck, and he was talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and I was like, I almost showed it, but I was like, no, we'd all be scarred. Um, Just like weird, anyway, and the point, the thing was something like why I never bring people to church or something like that. Um, A large portion of 1 Corinthians 14 is Paul pleading, hey, Be aware of the person who just walked in off the street and has no grid for what you're doing. Like, you're having a party. Good for you. What about them? Read the book, man. It's in there. I'll show you. Paul is not being seeker sensitive here. He's not saying you should soften everything down. And No, he's saying don't lose the plot. Don't lose the plot. The gifts of the Spirit aren't for you to have little goosebumps and then go on with your life. Don't lose the plot, right? 1 Corinthians 14, here it is. If you give thanks with your spirit, he's talking about tongues. Like, we're not even going to get into it. All right, guys, we're just not, he's talking about tongues. He says, later, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen? You know what that means? So be it. It's like an, yeah, yay, you know? How can anyone say that? 
to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying. For you, maybe giving thanks, well enough, good for you, but the other person is not built up. Paul is pointing to something we often forget in Christian bubbles. In the bubble, we get distracted with whether or not your church serves coffee or do your church, does your church have laser and smokes? Or do they speak in tongues? Or what type of songs do you sing? And we're squabbling over theological issues. And I know you're thinking, of course, well, not here. Well, of course not here. I mean, look at them, right? right. Other churches, okay? Other churches, right? And, and they tend to lose the plot and start thinking all of this is about your experience. We start to think all of this <laughs> is about your experience, about our little group's theology, about our way of doing things. I'm not saying that stuff doesn't matter. It's just not the point, right? What is the biblical grid for the gathering of believers when he comes to the use of the gifts? What's the filter? He's saying, like tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge. He's saying, you may be giving thanks, but the other person is, he's, the grid is, are other people built up? Are other people included? Do they understand? He's, and in this context, the other people are specifically outsiders, people that don't speak the language. They didn't grow up in church. They don't speak Christianese, right? They're outside the bubble. He's saying, what about them? Fascinating book, the Bible, isn't it? He's asking, is this accessible to outsiders? It's not a PR effort. Again, he's not over conservative appearances. He's reminding the church why it exists. <laughs> he says, listen, someone walks in and everyone's yelling in tongues. They have no clue what's going on. But he says, but you know what? If someone's prophesying, that's revealing the heart of God. That's what prophesying is. It's revealing the heart of God. Hey, here's, here's a prophetic word for you. God loves you. I just prophesied. You're like, really? Yes. I thought you had to tell the future. No, no. Prophesying, revealing the heart of God. That's all it means in the Bible, okay? Sometimes it does talk about future stuff, but, but a lot of times it's just revealing the heart of God. So someone comes and has a prophetic word. God loves you, okay? And he says, what happens if you can say one intelligible word this is before this. I'm not reading it all. And they go down to 25. He says, the secrets of heart, the men's of heart, the hearts of men <laughs> are laid bare so that they fall down and say, God is really among you. Interesting. What's the argument here? What's the point of the gifts? Well, according to this, the gifts are about manifesting the power and presence of God to those who do not know him. Not for you to have a good church service, right? Those who have no faith, no love of God, no, they don't walk with him. They're not in the social club, right? They, for them to meet God and open their hearts up before the living creator, right? Um, to be so, that they are so confronted with not a, a sermon or, or a teaching or a group of people, but rather by the presence of God. That's the argument here that when people come in, they don't just see a bunch of people sitting around. I mean, oftentimes people go to church in the South and it's just like a bunch of amateur actors on a stage putting on like a C minus play. And the music's like, right? I mean, the slides didn't even work, right? And, and it's like, and so what they're saying though is that you are confronted with not all that, but the power and presence of God, something that transcends that. In other words, all of the gifts, according to this, all of it is for mercy, Mercy, all of it so that the compassion of God becomes real to outsiders. 
See, we tend to read 1 Corinthians 12 and narrow in on the nature of the gifts, and that's fine. That's that's a good place for that, but he's painting a larger picture here. He's saying the spiritual gifts have a purpose. They have a function. The question to be asked is not, did I get goosebumps and who spoke in tongues? The question is, are the lost being drawn into the goodness of God? According to the Bible, am am, am I feasting? I hope you are feasting when you come to church, but the question he's asking is, are other people being invited to the feast? And that's the use of the gifts. Don't be a selfish Christian, guys. According to this, if salvation is not coming to those outside, you're doing it wrong. He's not making this up, though. Paul's not making this up. He's saying this because this is what he watched happen in the book of Acts. We traced this a couple weeks ago. Almost every time the Spirit moves, whether it's healing or words of knowledge or miraculous encounters, the result is people being snatched out of darkness and brought into life. They just watch this happen. That's the reason they're saying this, right? Therefore, one of the primary functions of the supernatural gifts of the Spirit is to express or manifest God's heart of mercy towards the lost. I said that twice now. It's a big, in other words, you can say it this way. The gifts of God are to fulfill the commission of God. The gifts of God are to fulfill the commission of God. Let me give you a bizarre example that I almost didn't give because it's so bizarre. I have a friend, Joel Goddard. Anyone know Joel Goddard? He's down the street. He's a worship pastor at um, Bethlehem Baptist. Great dude. And he was getting gas. And he's getting gas at this gas station. And he has this crazy impulse <laughs> at this gas station. I want to walk in that gas station and do a handstand. As an adult, you generally dismiss impulses like that, right? Like, that's absurd. But he said he couldn't shake it. He just kept thinking, I need to go do a handstand. And all of a sudden, he gets this weird thing. He's like, I feel like this is the Lord. How he connected that, I have no clue. I just don't know if I would ever thought about it. But he's thinking, this can't be God. I mean, where is this in the Bible? This is absurd. He's second-guessing, right? I mean, and so he, he's walking in because he has to pay, and he's, you know, second-guessing himself. He's awkwardly looking around because she's thinking, am I about to do this or not? And, you know, he, people probably thought he was about to steal something. They're like, watch that guy because he's acting weird, right? And finally, he kind of is like, well, what's the worst that could happen, right? I mean, it wouldn't be the first time I get kicked out of a 7-Eleven, right? So, um, so he, makes, he makes his way over to, like, the most hidden corner he can find, right? And he, and he just, you know, pops the headstand real quick, pops back up, you know, looks around, makes sure another one was looking. And as he's looking around, he locks eyes with the attendant. And she's crying. So he's like, oh, are you, are you okay? And she says, my life is falling apart right now. Five minutes before you walked in, I just had a moment of desperation. I said, God, if you're real, have someone come in here and do a headstand. <laughs> and right there, you, I know you don't believe me right now. I see it in your eyes. You know, like, I'm just telling you what he told me, bro, all right? And right there, through the window, he prayed with her to receive Christ. Okay, so where's that in the Bible? Right? Don't journal, next time in QT, do headstand. Right? That's not the point, okay? Now, I know some of you are like, that's, I, I'm with you, bro. That's insane. I, I don't get it, all right? But what we do see in the Bible is people living in such union, union with God, in such close proximity that he can guide and direct them in ways that they could not have known themselves. And the result is people welcoming in the grace and love of God in their life, right? Do you perceive the power of the Holy Spirit as a necessary component for the Great Commission or simply as an inner experience? 
Because it can be both and maybe should be. The gifts and the power of God have a purpose. God may want to use you in your specific time and place and profession to invite others into his kingdom, not because you're super smart or have the ability to defend uh, theology or can articulate or debating skills, but maybe simply based on your willingness to obey him. Maybe God just needs people who are willing. Maybe he just needs people who will worship him more than their own reputation and be willing to look a little silly from time to time and lose control for a second. That, that, I mean, more than likely, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've had times when you felt, man, I just need to go talk to that person. Or, man, I just came into some money, and this need just came up, and I really feel like I should give. And whether or not you listen to those or not, I don't know where you're at. But, man, in those moments, I think we tend to act like Moses and say things like, well, I'm not gifted, and I don't know the Bible theology, and blah, blah, blah. And Moses, you know, comes up with all the, I don't have a Ph.D. in ancient Hebrew. Maybe God just needs someone who's willing. Not super, super smart. This is why Paul would say things like, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that, this is crazy, your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Interesting dynamic. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. How many people's faith in America rests on human wisdom? Rests on the intellect and winsomeness of the pastor instead of the power of God. The biblical authors seem to think the defining trait of the church is supernatural demonstration of the Spirit's power over and above human wisdom and methods. Stick that in your coffee and drink it, okay? In my opinion, the biblical conviction of this stands in sharp contrast to the American church and its values and methodology. That we have a whole horde of people that their faith rests on the ability of, a, of some dude with a mic to explain things instead of the power and presence of God. But it's clear here. It's not just building up. It's not just inviting in outsiders, but it's building up insiders, right? Paul says your gifts are to build up, not tear down the church. Let me let the text speak for itself. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says this. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction or a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. And here it is. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. And again in 12.7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Say it with me. Common good. Say it louder. Common good. Thank you. That was good. If you read the text, Paul seems to be trying to correct a bunch of people who are more concerned with how spiritual they look instead of building others up. He seems to be addressing a, some sort of... Um, shouting match in tongues, right? <laughs> I'm more spiritual than that guy. Has anyone ever been in the room when like conversation goes that way? And like, I'm gonna up, I'm gonna up one story. Someone's telling a story and you can see the other guy trying to think of a better story. You're like, I'm just, I'm, I'm typically, I'm like, I'll let you guys sort it out, you know? Um, these guys, this church, these people had hijacked the spiritual gifts and were using them as a currency for spiritual reputation. And when they did that, when they made it about themselves, they, number one, became totally unaware of how it looked to outsiders. And number two, totally forgot, oh, yeah, we go to church to encourage others, not convince everyone we're awesome. And here he's saying, Paul is acknowledging, listen, stay with me. Paul is acknowledging a very interesting dynamic in religion that goes on today. He's saying religion and gifts and all these things can just become a tool to prove that you are smarter and more spiritual than other people. This is a real dynamic in Christianity as a whole. That we think, oh, God sounds great. I mean, obviously it's the, high, the, the right path. And so maybe I'll get in with this crew and that way I can convince everyone else that I'm right. 
Many, 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 many people do Christianity like this. And he's addressing your idea of what you think community is for and spiritual gifts are for. He's saying it's for building up others. It's for the good of others. And honestly, it's radically opposed to how most modern people think about church, especially in America. Paul says church, real church, is when we come together with all of our specific and unique gifting and skills and intelligence and like that dude knows more about finance than I'll ever know, right? That guy could fix a nuclear reactor with a toothpick, right? That chick, like when she talks, she's like the Pied Piper and my kids just, they just listen to her, right? We got all these gifts. And he's saying, when you come together, instead of using your financial skills to cheat other people, instead of using your mechanical skills to make yourself rich or using your magnetic influence over children to manipulate and gain a following for ourselves, we all come together and we leverage our gifts to prop other people up. You see the picture? Do you see the picture, y'all? All of your gifts, all of your talents, all of your skills, not lording it over people, but pulling it down so that other people are propped up. I need like a big two by four. You guys feel me? <laughs> Everything about you. You've been marvelously, wonderfully created by your creator with gifts and talents and skills. And he's saying all that stuff is not for your sake. Y'all, radically opposed to how we think about ourselves in this century, right? Listen, I love you. You've been trained in a little something called consumerism. And you would be naive to think that the consumeristic impulses of our day have not bled into how we think about God and community and relationships. Okay, one of the greatest fights of our time is to convince ourselves we're not just here to be consumers. Like it's the air we breathe. It, Paul is not just talking about gifts in a religious category. He's talking about how you think of all of life. Why are you here? Why we live? What's the purpose of it all? In your culture, in the air, you're going to leave here and a marketer is going to convince you, you deserve it. <laughs> He's going to convince you. Listen, because you know why? Entitled people spend more money. They, they have, y'all, marketers have a vested interest to convince you that the world revolves around you because entitled people spend more money. And Paul is giving us this radical different view of what, it, what community should look like and how if, if we will submit to this, how your community, will, your soul itself will flourish. Have you ever read Isaiah 58? If you haven't read it, go home and read it. It's about fasting. And we think fasting is about humbling ourselves. And the entire chapter is about, that's not what fasting is about. Fasting is about meeting the needs of the poor. It's, and God just has this radically different picture. How do you view your own spirituality? Why do you read the Bible? Why obey? Why, go, why be faithful? Why go to church? Is it for your own sake? Because according to the Bible, all of these things are not for your own sake, but because you, so that you will draw in outsiders to the mercy and grace of God. I'm gonna get back on my notes. This changes everything. It does, doesn't it though? Think about it. Uh, let, think about it. Come on, say with me. When you see someone at church who is wounded or immature or dysfunctional, what is your impulse? <laughs> Did you see them? Oh my gosh, they are hot messes, right? Is that your impulse? To point out the flaws and imperfections you see in others? Or is it to come alongside them and say, bro, Lean on me until God makes that leg strong again. How do you deal with the imperfections of your friends? How do you deal with the imperfections of the church? The natural human tendency, y'all, is to make our gifts and strengths and perceptive abilities about us. And this New Testament vision of community is radically, profoundly backwards from how humans have functioned in community throughout history. Hmm? 
he's saying all the gifts, all your skills, all your participation, all the preaching, everything, everything must be done in such a way that the person to your right and your left are being built up. That's why we're here. Is that why you're here? Is that why you're here? Not just to hear some idiot ramble, right? Not just to hear some music or some come to some building, not just because you like Riverstone's way of doing things. Is it so the people to your right and your left are being built up, right? I mean, guys, just think about the reasons people are faithful to churches. Why be committed, right? Is it just the sermons? Is it just that you like this guy? I mean, good stuff. I like a good sermon. I like to laugh. I like all that stuff. But if you think that's the point, you've lost the plot. You've lost the plot. He's saying outsiders got to be being drawn into this, right? Think about it just for one second, then we'll move on. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Think about it. Think about it. Get outside the Christian bubble that maybe you grew up in. Followers of Jesus in history did not shed their blood and die a bloody martyr's death over whether or not their church was singing hymns or not. People didn't lay their life down because, oh, well, he's, you know, verse by verse, and I like topical, or they don't have lasers, and I like lasers, or, the, you know, the slides, you know, or like, I, listen, here's, here's, here's I've never known anyone that like just like radically surrendered their life to God and just lived the rest of their life because the drums were spot on. Just never seen that happen. I mean, maybe. I mean, Josh is a great drummer. That feel like do, 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 do. You know, it's just like, you know, like, I love Jesus now. Really? Okay, that's great. I mean, right? And yet, these are the motivations we find in modern Christian faithfulness. I just like that church. I like how they do things. I like this, I like that, right? These are the motivations we find as to why people stay faithful to community. Is it not? Huh? I'm not saying that stuff doesn't matter, right? That's like 80% of what I do, right? I'm so annoyed that the size didn't work, right? I'm just, I'm just saying it feels like a pretty short-sighted thing to be committed for and to, right? The fuel of the church eternal through the ages of history was not preference or the wisdom of man, or the methods of man. Y'all, what was the eternal fuel for the church? It was the conviction that God had given himself to us fully and completely, poured his blood out, sacrificed himself for me. That's what galvanized their hearts. Not the color of the carpet, <laughs> right? That's what caused them to lay their lives down for the sake of others, to leverage everything they had to make their life. I'm not saying, like, we don't ever receive. Like, we receive, guys. We have to receive. There are seasons where we have to come to church to just receive. But I'm saying if that's all you ever do in church, you're only getting half of the benefit of being committed to a community, right? Apparently, you need others so you can help others, not just so they can help you. Or you could say it this way. The church is not a consumer good. Welcome to church. I love you guys. The church is not a consumer good just as much as you or I am not a consumer good. Relationships are not consumer goods. Right? According to 1 Corinthians 12, 1, the gifts, if the gifts ever veer outside of welcoming outsiders in and building insiders up, they've gone off course, and according to the Bible, you're not using them right. So let me just start to land the plane with this. We're hitting against something that's not just a religious category, like I said. This is not just how you think about spiritual gifts. It's how you think about yourself in the world. Like, are you here in the earth to help? Or are you here to be helped? Do you exist to help yourself? or to help others. Like the level of entitlement of our age, y'all, has created functional parasites, like practically speaking. 
We're talking about the notion of how we perceive ourselves in existence. Do you use your words and your skills and your talents, all that stuff, just to meet your needs, to satisfy your desires? Is that the purpose of all your giftings and skills? Because I'll tell you right now, that's how I think of mine. I can, I can take pretty good pictures. I can make lots of money doing it. Is that the purpose? Is that the only purpose? I mean, it's part of the purpose for sure. But think about the Marvel movies. You guys know the Marvel movies? Think about how like these alien forces come and suck the resources out of all the earth and they move on to another planet like Locust, right? Who completely devours the landscape. Or like think of a tick, right? Who sustains itself by sucking the lifeblood out of another. That's a horrible picture. But this is the schema that the modern mall and the convenience of the internet has created in us that we are parasites. It has trained us to judge. Stay with me. I know it's like you're being so mean today. Ah, well, okay. It has trained us to judge relationships, churches, jobs, Jesus, by will this serve me or not? I will show up as long as it meets my needs. Guys, Paul is not talking just about spiritual gifts. He's talking about how you view yourself in the world. Am I here to just consume? Am I like the Marvel movies? Is that my existence? I just move into a place, I suck everything out that I can get, and then when I get bored, I leave. Because if you think that, then the use of spiritual gifts is not even a conversation, because you've missed the fundamental motivation for it all. Remember what it was in 13? Love. Correct. That's the one prerequisite, love. What is love? It's putting others before yourself. It's considering others more important than yourself. We're talking about a mode of operation, y'all. Not just what do you think about tongues. Not just what do you think about prophecy. We're talking about a mode of operation in the world, right? We have to be honest with how consumerism has impacted how we think of everything. Relationships, marriages. Listen, and I grew up in church. Like, I know how this works, right? Consumerism has created basically a three-year shelf life at any church. <laughs> Once you hear all of the kind of unique passions and teachings of the pastor and all his favorite topics, like, which normally takes about three years for a pastor to work through all of his favorites out here, right? You, you start to get bored because you've heard that before. You know, I've seen this before and you've consumed all there is to consume and on you go to another one. It's not a secret. It's okay. I just, it's just the reality of most churches. Not, you know, it's because we've adopted a culturally accepted self-identity of consumer. And once we get this feeling that we, there's no more here for me to consume, we get bored and frustrated and we move on. Because in the consumeristic mindset, it's always about your expectations, your needs, your wants, no one else's. And what Paul is saying, we have to let it confront us. He's saying, when the gospel grips you, the gospel grips you, the, the point of life then becomes giving. That's what he's saying. He said, when the gospel grips you, the point of life, it radically changes how you think about everything, relationships, marriage, churches, all of it. And of course, he's saying that because of Jesus. Let me end with just trying to paint you a picture, okay? I'm going to end, I promise, right now. <laughs> I'm going to try to paint, everyone always laughs when I say that. Um, trying to paint you a picture of the use of the gifts in a wider context. You guys ready for the picture? Okay. Humanity, generally will always leverage its talents and skills to maintain or achieve power, historically. The stronger oppress the weaker. You have strength. This is just historically true, right? Nietzsche, uh, Darwin, they all, they all picked up on this, okay? They just noticed this pattern. People tend to use their resources not to love others, but to oppress others to exploit others, to manipulate. So we, we spend our money on ourselves 
And it's birthed out of this deep, why, humanity, why are humans like this? Well, it's birthed out of a deep conviction that you own yourself, that your life is your own. Uh, and if you own yourself, you see, then you do whatever you want with your life and your talents and your skills, your talents and your money. You own it because you, you're it. You're your own God, sort of, you know? No one else made you. You made yourself. We're self-made people in the modern era, okay? But if the biblical narrative is true, you do not own yourself. You did not bring yourself into existence. It's true biologically, <laughs> and it's true theologi the theologically, right? You, didn't, you don't own yourself. And the biblical narrative is going to say everything, food, relationships, hobbies, sleep, sex, travel, work, exercise, all of it is gifts. And the biblical story is going to say that life in all of its glory, all creation is gift. That's what the Bible maintains. It's given. Existence, creation is given. And man came along and essentially said, I gave this to myself. I am to credit for my existence, right? So not only have we refused to give credit to the creator for all of life, but what humanity has done has taken those gifts and made them into gods and worshiped them. So God gave creation. He gave gifts. Man said, I made myself and I will take your gifts, but I don't give a care about you. And not only that, we've then taken those gifts and propped them up as gods. So that now we worship the gifts of God. We worship sex. We worship money. We worship exercise. We've taken the goods and we can run with them. And we said, God, I'll take your stuff, but I don't want you. Are you getting the picture? Very pessimistic. You're welcome. And in response to that, what did God do? When man said, I will run my own life. I like your gifts, but I don't like you. God came down. But not to judge. He came down to give more. In response to us telling God, I know what's right and wrong. I am my own God. And I don't need you in my life. He came down not to judge, but to give of himself more. This time to the last breath. This time to give of every drop of blood he had. The son was given. Are we tracking? What he knew was what humanity needed to shock us out of our selfishness was a human who would live their life completely out of the knowledge that they belong to God. We needed a human, a person, who would see themselves as here to serve. We needed a human who would humble themselves and abase themselves and expend the entirety of their life for the sake of others, who would give and give and give till there was none left to give. That is the claim of what Jesus did. He was given. This is why Paul would say things like, he who did not spare his own son, how he will also graciously give us all things. And then, this side of the New Testament, what do we find but God in all of his mystery and wonder, saying, despite your sinfulness and your mess, despite your unwillingness to cling to the sacrifice of my son, to, to accept the gift I've given, I'm going to give you more now. I'm going to give you a way to live 
Jesus gave us that. But he says, but that's not enough. You now need the power to live like that. And so I'm going to give you the gift of my spirit. And not only that, I'm going to come and I'm going to empower your natural predispositions of giftings and talents. And I'm going to give more of myself. So open your hand, open your mouth, and receive the gift of the spirit. Now, at some point, the generosity of God begins to just confound and confuse you because the whole story, y'all, is about a God who over and abundantly, generously is giving and giving and giving. It's a God who gives, y'all. The gifts of the Spirit are a gift, and they are a gift amongst a long line of gifts. You guys understand? So that's why God can come to you and have the audacity to say your, your gifts and your talents are not about you because it's all gifts. And he comes to us and he says, will you join me in using who you are, your gifts, your talents, and talents, not for your own sake, but for the sake of the people to your right and your left. That's the invitation of the gifts of the Spirit, not to have weirder services. (laughs) It's to be a people who are on mission with God. So today, maybe you've just realized that you're a taker. And listen, I'm not going to like say, we need help volunteering. Okay, that's not the point, right? (laughs) Maybe you've realized your whole approach, not just to church, but to God in relationships, has always been on your terms. And today, you need to ask God for forgiveness for taking the gifts and refusing to give credit to the giver. I think there's other of us in this room right now whom I feel a sense of loss because, not because of the spiritual gift conversation, but because of your lack of love for those around you. If your heart feels dry and unloving towards the people to your right and your left, I think God wants to meet you today, not to rebuke you, but to give you a gift. Because the beautiful thing about the gospel, y'all, is the first step isn't pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and trying harder. The first step is receiving his gift. And I have a conviction today that God is here to give you guys, to give us of himself again, forgiveness and grace. So stand with me and let's come to the table.